Coming up this evening on NTD Business. The president is announcing his budget plan for 2023. There could be new taxes on the way. We have the analysis. Are we facing a recession? A key warning light is flashing. We ask how to prepare. Shanghai, with a population of 26 million, is going under lockdown. This is the biggest one since Wuhan 2020. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here live from New York City. The president today releasing his new budget plan. It has sweeping changes in how Americans' wealthiest would be taxed. A tax on unrealized capital gains means you'd pay the government before you even make a profit on your investments. It applies to anyone with a net worth greater than $100 million. Entity's fake quarter has the details in just a moment. The president also going after businesses, corporations to be exact. He wants the corporate tax rate back at 28%. Trump cut it to 21% back in 2017. So businesses will just move overseas, you say? Well, the president is confident to deal with 130 other countries to set a global minimum t- corporate tax rate will leave the businesses with nowhere to run. The plan could mean an extra $2.5 trillion in government revenue over the next 10 years, according to the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, but that's against $1.4 trillion of new spending. It makes prudent investments in economic growth and more equitable economy while making sure corporations and the very wealthy pay their fair share. There is more money for affordable housing projects, improving American supply chains and boosting American manufacturing. The climate, green energy and advancing climate justice and equity would also get a windfall. But a proposal is just that, a proposal. Still need to make its way through Congress. Like we said, the president wants to tax wealthy Americans even before, before they made a profit on their investments. A tax on unrealized capital gains. Entity's fake quarter explains. President Biden is proposing what he calls a new minimum income tax for billionaires. Basically, anyone with a net worth over $100 million must pay at least 20% of their income, which will include unrealized gains. In other words, they're trying to tax the increase in value of an investment, even if you haven't sold it. That stock could be worth, let's say, a billion dollars. You haven't sold the stock. The stock is, you know, in a public company, and that unto itself is being taxed. Don Kaufman is the co-founder of Theotrade. Kaufman says this would probably change the pay structure at many firms. Biden says only the wealthiest 0.01% of American households will pay the tax and that households earning more than $1 billion will account for over half of the revenue. The Biden administration thinks the tax will raise $360 billion over a decade. Biden has tried to raise taxes on the wealthy in the past, but he's always been stopped by Democratic Senators Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kirsten Cinema of Arizona. Pew Research Center says 47% of adults in West Virginia are conservative, the majority, while 39% of the adults in Arizona are conservative, also a majority. Faye Quarter, NTD News. So joining us is Gareth Watson, Senior Policy Analyst with the Tax Foundation. Gareth, do you expect more people to move their wealth offshore if something like this unrealized tax on or tax and unrealized capital gains actually comes in. Thanks for having me. It's definitely a risk that folks who are subject to this new proposal might 
uh, be encouraged to move their, their wealth uh, offshore or even in the extreme to expatriate and renounce their citizenship from the U.S. Uh, and to avoid this tax. Uh, the higher the tax, the more the, the tax burden, the more that might be encouraged. Uh, but not only that, uh, foreign uh, high earners who are not subject to this tax are going to be advantaged relative to U.S. residents. And that means more investment opportunities for foreign billionaires at the expense of, of domestic billionaires. What does that mean for the U.S. economy as a whole? How important is this high net wealth individuals for the economy? Yeah, I think there's two items there. One is it's going to encourage greater investment by foreigners who are not subject to this tax. So it puts foreign savings uh, above uh, domestic savings uh, because they're not going to be subject to this, this new tax. And the second cost is going to be administrative in nature because uh, folks are going to spend a lot of time trying to value their assets and work with the IRS to pay this tax. And that's a distraction and a drain from the U.S. economy at a time where we really need to be emphasizing economic growth. Are there alternatives to close these, quote, loopholes? I think there is. There's a better path to go down, and that, goes, uh, and that comes down to taxing consumption rather than income. Rather than emphasizing all the uh, different ways in which many folks could uh, avoid this tax through uh, shifting their income, if we tax their consumption, it's much more visible and much more easy to administer than taxing income. And it comes down to the same conclusion. Higher earners can still pay more in tax. Uh, billionaires who are enjoying their yachts and uh, private planes will pay tax on that consumption. And it ensures that investment in the U.S. is taxed appropriately and not uh, discouraged uh, through the tax code. Can you give a real-world example of taxing consumption? Sure, yes. Yeah. So, so most countries in, uh, in the West uh, actually end up taxing consumption as a large portion of their revenue through a value-added tax. That's one option that we could uh, look at, but there are many different ways in which we could structure taxes on consumption uh, by ensuring that savings is not uh, subject to tax when it's saved, but rather than when you consume it. And it would require common sense changes to our income tax code to do so. Uh, and it's much more visible, right? You can see consumption in a much more visible way than the many complex in investment uh, strategies that higher earners uh, use to hide their income or to avoid tax under the current tax code. I think the, the debate on the other side of the argument on the other side is that a lot of these very high net worth individuals, they never spend these, they, ne they never use these for consumption, or maybe they take out loans against these assets rather than actually selling them. Are you saying that they would be taxed on the consumption on the money that they get from these loans and spend? That's exactly right. So a consumption tax could be levied not just on, on money that you're earning directly, but also through loans that you're taking against other assets. And that would effectively foreclose uh, the very legitimate concern that uh, high earners right now can borrow on their assets, uh, consume, and then pass those assets along to their, uh, their descendants without paying any tax. And that is a you know, fairness concern that this consumption tax uh, could address. Uh, the other thing, we, of course, we'd have to do is ensure that there are protections for lower income folks because they tend to consume a larger portion of their income. Uh, and there's ways in which you could do that, either through rebates or exemptions, uh, to make sure that we are making the, the tax code progressive uh, and making sure that higher earners do pay their fair share. Gareth Watson, Tax Foundation. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And on to Wall Street, markets closed higher today. The Dow rose 95 points, three tenths of a percent. The S&P 500 gained 32 points, seven tenths of a percent. The Nasdaq gained 186 points, one and three tenths of a percent. 
The S&P Energy Index was the worst performing sector after oil prices tumbled 9%. Good news for gas prices though, right? Sell-off in the bond market continued today. Short-dated yields hitting their highest since 2019. The five-year yield topped the 30-year yield. In technical jargon, the yield curve inverted. That's said to be a clear sign of a recession on the way. Usually, if you buy a U.S. government bond, you'll want a higher return on your investment if you're going to give your money to the government for a longer time. So the annual return you get on a 30-year treasury, a.k.a. its yield, should be higher than a five-year treasury, right? The government's taking my money for 30 years, after all. They better sweeten the deal. But today, for some reason, the yield on the 30-year fell below the yield on the five-year. And here to tell us why is the chief strategist for RIA Advisors, our man on the money, Lance Roberts. Lance, great to see you. Nice to see you, Paul. How are you? Great, Lance, as always. Lance, why the inversion? Um, well, so what happens in, you know, again, you kind of hit the nail on the head as kind of technical jargon. It's when short yields are higher than long-term yields. And what that means is, is there is an economic issue that is going on. In other words, the economy is slowing more than expected. And what investors are betting on is that in the short term, there will be a problem potentially. And that's why they're demanding a higher yield for short term money versus longer term money, like, say, a mortgage on your house. Right. I'm not so worried 30 years out. That'll be fine but I'm demanding more in payment in the short term because I'm expecting the Federal Reserve, most importantly, to make a policy mistake here that puts the economy into a recession and gives us kind of some short-term market pain. So what are we saying, Lance, that we, we, we think that the government may not be able to pay their debts in five years' time, any more so than 30 years' time? No, that's not what it means at all. Again, when, when markets, so the bond market is based on fundamentals. Uh, you know, when I'm going to loan you money, Paul, I'm going to check your credit score. I'm going to make sure you have a job that you can pay me back. And what's the risk of you not paying me back, right? That's Those, those are all the factors, inflation on my money. So in the short term, what the market's saying is that because inflation is very high today, I need more payment today, but inflation is going to subside longer term. So as the economy slows down, as you get into a recession, that's deflationary, which means I don't need as much yield further out because of less inflation. How sure a sign is this? Well, going back in history, now it's not just one yield curve, and this is always the mistake, right? The, the five year versus the 30 years now inverted, but a lot of the other yield curves aren't. We track 10 different yield curves and historically, you need a lot of them, more than 50% of these yield curves to actually go into inversion to tell you there's a real economic problem. Just one or two right now inverted really doesn't tell you a whole lot. But when you see a lot of the curves inverted, that tells you there's a problem economically. But here's the most important thing. Inverted yield curves don't tell you that you're in a recession. It's when they invert and then uninvert. When, they, when yields start plummeting on the, on the longer end, that tells you you're now in the recession. And again, later after the fact, the National Bureau of Economic Research will come back and date the recession. They'll say, oh yeah, the recession started six months ago. It doesn't do you a lot of good. But the yield curve has an almost, well, it does have a 100% track record of predicting recessions. Got about 30 seconds, Lance. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you uh, help people to protect their money in these type of environments? 
Well, this is just where we have to be a little bit more prudent about where we're taking risk in portfolios. Again, when we're investing money, we're taking risk of loss, right? That's the whole purpose of investing. So in the short term, we want to be focused more on value, um, lower risk assets, things that potentially aren't as impacted by high inflation. And then as we get into a recession, you'll want to own more cash and and avoid bigger downturns in the markets. But that's probably still three, four, five months away. So not too much to worry about today. Hmm. Could be some buying opportunities as well, right? Lance Absolutely. Roberts, RIA Advisors. As always, thank you, Lance. Talk soon. My pleasure. Thank you. Japan isn't going to cut off Russian energy. An aide to the Japanese prime minister says that would be like placing sanctions on Japan itself instead of Russia. Japan is dependent on Russian gas. The hometown of Japan's prime minister is especially dependent. Russia gives, her, her, Russia gives Hiroshima Gas Company around half of its annual gas, which is more than other parts of Japan. The entire country gets a lot of its power from one Russian island located near Japan. Japan's prime minister says this energy supply is, quote, an important project for the nation. One of his aides did say, though, Japan's purchases don't contribute significantly to Russia's war efforts. The war has also worsened Europe's energy crisis, pushed prices even higher. Spain will now provide financial support to companies and households to assist them in weathering the sky-high energy prices. The government announced the $17.5 billion package today. Around $6.5 billion will come both as direct aid and tax cuts, while the remaining 11 will be subsidized loans. There will also be limits on residential rent increases and caps on energy prices. But price caps like these can often make the problem worse if suppliers don't think it's worth producing the lower prices. As by media reports to the contrary, it seems China is still sticking with its zero COVID policy. Shanghai announced Sunday it will lock down its 26 million residents. You'll have to stay home, offices and certain businesses will be closed, and public transport will be suspended. A lot of people use public transport in Shanghai. They're trying to stamp out the Omicron variant. But are mass lockdowns the way to deal with Omicron? Here's Anthony's Don Ma. Shanghai is going under lockdown. It's China's biggest one since Wuhan in 2020. But professor of epidemiology Dr. Harvey Risch at Yale says mass lockdowns are not the right way to tackle Omicron. Lockdowns are never the way to go. If you want to destroy the society, then lock it down for six to eight months. Yale epidemiologist Risch says due to its high transmissibility, the only effective method to deal with Omicron is through herd immunity. China will never get out of Omicron. Omicron is too infectious for any method to work. You need herd infection to prevent the massive waves going forward. And, and China has not allowed its population to get herd immunity. Locking down will just slow the, the process down. The Omicron strain may be highly transmissible, but symptoms are milder, which makes having lockdowns seem even more impractical. The Omicron strain is comparable to a typical seasonal flu uh, in mortality. In fact, the uh, UK has put out uh, information that you can calculate the mortality of Omicron compared to Delta. It's less than a third to a quarter what Delta was. It should be viewed as just another typical respiratory illness at this point. Dr. Risch says Beijing has only two paths it can go down in dealing with this virus. China basically has to decide whether 
it's going to destroy its society over this, or it's going to treat it and, and, and accept it and move on. Shanghai entered a two-stage lockdown Monday. Part of the city will go under lockdown from Monday to Friday, and the rest from Friday to next Tuesday. Don Ma, NTD News. Now, Major League Baseball is inking a deal with a new bank sponsor worth millions. Capital One becomes the new official bank and credit card partner of the MLB. The bank gets to use all 30 baseball teams in its advertisements. It'll also be an official sponsor of the World Series. Capital One Bank is taking over from Bank of America. It was with the Baseball League since 2004. Would you like your business news in simple and bite-sized form, easy to digest over a cup of fresh morning brew coffee? Apparently millions of people do. The business newsletter targeting millennials is attracting millions of subscribers and growing fast. Denise Phil Zoe has the story. What started as a simple business newsletter for college students back in 2014 has grown to become a media news superstar today called the Morning Brew Newsletter. You know, they do business um, updates on a very easy and digestible timeline for their reader. After reaching 3 million subscribers less than a year ago, the free newsletter just topped 4 million subs. Businessman Bob Bilbrook is an angel investor who works with startups all the time. Maybe just people want just like smaller, bite-sized snacks of business news and updates. So I think that's one piece of it. Another secret sauce to their success, says Bilbrook, is the creative referral program. Those affiliates can get prizes for doing that. So it starts out very low where they have to do five shares to get, you know, like a single prize. And then I think up till up to like 100 shares um, through the referral program, you can get pretty nice prizes. The average age of a Morning Brew subscriber is 30, but the newsletter says it's targeting millennials anywhere from age 25 to 40. The company earned $50 million in sales last year, doubling its revenue from the year before. Phil Zoe, NTD News. And the city of Portsmouth, New Hampshire has become the most recent U.S. city to move towards adopting crypto as a means of transaction between residents and the government. Diddy Sean Marshall has more. Portsmouth, New Hampshire has decided to allow cryptocurrency for bill payment. The city's mayor, Deaglin McEachern, said he wants to make sure Portsmouth is not waiting around to see how crypto technology is going to affect them in the future. Ori Levy of NF Trade said the benefits would be the speed and cheapness of transferring value from one person to another. I asked him how this could make a difference for Portsmouth. It's also just um, mostly for, for the city to be ahead of, of the others and probably um, show that they're a lot more advanced in terms of, uh, of the tech that they adopt. The change won't impact the city's financial practices since payments made in cryptocurrency will be immediately converted to U.S. dollars through PayPal before it's sent to their payment processor. The city has been using the vendor for months. I also asked crypto analyst David Girard what the purpose of adopting this program could be. I don't know what the purpose of this is. They're promoting that you can pay by PayPal in Portsmouth. Maybe the guy really likes Bitcoin. And he wanted to mention Bitcoin. The mayor is still waiting for his one-time $500 bonus of cryptocurrency for being elected as a way for him to learn more about the process. He said when received, it will be converted to cash and donated. Colorado and Wyoming have both passed legislation allowing for residents to pay taxes in crypto. 
Florida is also going in the same direction with Governor Ron DeSantis saying he's working with state agencies to figure out ways to pay tax in crypto. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And staying in the digital world, some 70 fashion brands and designers are pushing their creative boundaries by taking part in the Metaverse Fashion Week. That's where avatars walk the digital runway decked out in e-couture. Viewers can buy the outfits for their own avatars or even for themselves. Designers are looking towards a growing world of virtual interactions. Denise Jessica Beatty has more. This is the Metaverse Fashion Week. The four-day event is hosted by Virtual World Decentraland. It's attracted over 70 fashion brands and designers like Dolce & Gabbana, DKNY, and Tommy Hilfiger. For a lot of users, it's their first NFT experience. They come into Decentraland, they don't even necessarily need a wallet, they come in as a guest, and then they see people wearing funky clothes and they're dressed in like the basic wearables, and they're like, hey, I want some of that. They don't have to have any money because there's so many wearables giveaways. Featured clothes are often being paired with real-life ones, offering a first chance to try on unusual outfits. Some designers say the event reflects an increasingly remote world. With the Mary J. Blige outfit that we did for the Super Bowl, you know, these outfits are these fantastical looks that people are never able to purchase and never able to try on. And we thought, well, how do we take this look and make it um, reachable for people to be able to, to wear them in a digital world? I think what will happen is at some point you'll say, okay, well, I have a Zoom and I don't want to get dressed up. Let's get, let's wear, I'll go into our digital closet and, and get a digital outfit that we can wear for this Zoom. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. And Google warning billions of Chrome users the browser is vulnerable to hackers. Others could be too. And Russians piling into property in Turkey and the United Arab Emirates to avoid Western sanctions. That and more coming up on NTD Business. No matter what web browser you use, it's likely you'll need to update it as soon as possible. Google first announced a dangerous vulnerability in its Chrome browser last week. It's already known to hackers. Google hasn't issued a fix yet. The company has announced an emergency update for its billions of Chrome users, but that could take several days to roll out. Microsoft confirmed Monday the same hole exists in its Edge browser. That's because, like many browsers, Edge uses Google's open-source Chromium code to run. Microsoft has issued a patch that is already available for Edge users. Samsung's browser, Amazon Silk, Brave, Opera, and others are also probably open to the same exploit. Check it out. And NASA says astronaut, one astronaut will return from the International Space Station later this month on a Russian aircraft. As previously planned on Monday, NASA sought to reaffirm it's still working closely with Russia's space agency on station operations. That's despite mounting geopolitical tensions. 
During the astronaut's mission, which started last April, he broke the record for the longest single space flight by an American astronaut, which had stood at 340 days. He'll wrap up his space flight after 355 days in space when he returns with two cosmonauts on March 30th. Welcome home. And wealthy Russians are pouring money into real estate in Turkey and the United Arab Emirates. They're seeking a financial haven in the wake of Moscow's invasion of Ukraine and Western sanctions. And according to many property companies, Francis McGuire has the details. Wealthy Russians have poured money into real estate in the United Arab Emirates and Turkey. That's according to some property firms in the region. It comes as Western sanctions hit Russia hard over the conflict in Ukraine. Tiago Kaldas is CEO of Dubai firm Modern Living. He's hired three Russian-speaking agents due to higher demand. The Russians are already used to Dubai. They just kept coming more. Yeah, obviously the, the number of Russians who get interested in the market here now is much more than, I would say, two months ago or three months ago. Both Turkey and the UAE have criticized Russia's invasion, but they still have good ties with Moscow. They also both still operate direct flights, offering a route out for Russians with their money. Kaldas says wealthy buyers seemed to be making preparations and moving their money out of Russia even before the war began. Buying property in Turkey can also be a way to get a passport from the country, while in the UAE, it can be a way to earn a residency visa. Right in the beginning of the invasion of Ukraine, we launched a campaign uh, in the region. And the number of, of uh, people that contacted us, it was, I would say, at least 10 times higher than it usually would be for such type of, uh, of campaign. In February, Russians bought 509 houses in Turkey, almost double the number of last year, according to the country's statistics office. Real estate agents expect the number to grow further, both there and in the UAE. As the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Paul Graney, can still catch NTD Evening News with Stephanie Cox. That's at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. You can also follow me on Twitter, too, if you're there. For NTD Business, that's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.